Today's podcast is brought to you by Elenco Animal Health and Kelly's Finance. Hello, I'm Kerry Lonigan. Welcome to The Weekly Grill. Today featuring one of the two major talking points whenever farmers and all graziers get together. There's the weather, of course, but today it's prices, although, of course, the two are invariably intertwined. It's a mid-spring hello. First to Chris Howie from Stocko. Chris, welcome. G'day. How are you, Kerry? Chris, you've been uh, doing some interesting travel recently, and we'll be looking at that today, but the... Uh, Major feature, I expect, was mostly water, water, water everywhere, everywhere you travel in northern uh, Victoria and southern New South Wales. Yeah, a lot of water. Every every river that I've been over carries running top of banks. And uh, just had a look at Dartmouth Dam yesterday, uh, running over the spillway, first time in 26 years, I think. And, and it's been raining all night uh, at uh, Wodonga and Kalangata, and it's still raining now. Unbelievable. And a, a pleasure once again to have Matthew Dalgleish on board today at the helm of a new market uh, information analysis venture called EP3 or Episode 3. Uh, Matty, welcome. Give our listeners a quick uh, word picture of what EP3, EP3 is all about. Thanks, Terry. Thanks for having me on. Good day, Chris. Um, uh, well, Andrew Watland, myself, were formerly at Thomas Elder Markets, uh, which was the electronic assets of that business. Um, and so it's basically a rebadge of Thomas Elder Markets. Uh, continuing to provide market intel across broad acre commodities on the website ep3.net. Um, you can find us. Uh, oh, sorry, the episode3.net is the website. Um, but you're yeah, doing all the same stuff across the same broad acre commodities and um, and also consulting into the ag sector and the food manufacturing space. So, you know, doing a bit of um, risk management strategy, advice, all that kind of stuff um, that pays the bills so we can offer the free service. Uh- Food manufacturing, that's interesting. We'll talk about that later. Uh, you'll still be featuring all those intriguing graphics and analysis, I guess. <laughs> Absolutely. We're still doing that. watching the podcast ourselves as well. It's separate and we're, we're going to continue with all the uh, the graphs and the, and the humour as well um, and, and the uh, yeah, references to pop culture in our heading. Right. And nothing changes other, other than the brand, Kerry. Okay. Let's start with one of your latest uh, analysis, which I'm not sure if you've published yet, but, but it's about the feedlotters and the amount of money they're having to put in and what is resulting, you claim they're losing as much as $600 a head? Yeah, I ran a, a gross margin uh, last week, actually just looking to see how they're playing out with this really high feed cost. Um, so it's a simple gross margin cut, just you know, animal in, animal out, and cost of feed to maintain them for the period they're in. And for the uh, shorter shorter dated, like, you know, the less than 100-day trade, um, it was uh, it was shown that, um, that a month ago when when the prices for feed grain was, was peaking that they were losing you know close to six hundred dollars a head for that little period. And I just thought that was really excessive. I've never seen it as bad as that, and um, that's why I'm I'm, a bit, I'm doing a bit of you know, checking the industry to see is this uh, what's going on out there at the moment, or um, or is the, the calculations going awry somewhere? Chris, uh, what's your take on this uh, lot feeders losing as much as five or six hundred dollars a head? Um, I, look, I haven't got the numbers that Matt's got, but what I have heard is there are a few uh, significant feeders that have moved away from that short-term domestic feed, and they're starting to take the heavier models in, so heavier steers, heavier heavier heifers, and uh, that's the way they're creating their margin, sort of going into that, that bullock market instead of into the uh, sort of supermarket market. I spoke to some lot feeders this past week, and as we all know, like everybody in the red meat industry, they're... They're not in it for the money. They're just there to help out struggling producers. I uh, 
got the distinct impression, however, that things are very, very tight. Yeah, I, I, I think across, across, I mean, if you look at you know, the other thing we model, Perry, is that process and margin model. Um, and that's also showing, you know, I think we're averaging $300 ahead losses on that particular model for the, the beef processor. Um, yeah, and that's with the modeling for the feedlotting showing. And as, as Chris was saying, the shorter, shorter data trade is the one that was the most, um, painful. Um, as you moved out to, you know, medium and longer term kind of time in the feedlot, then the margins were a little bit improved. Um, and then that's possibly why we're seeing some of that, some of that kind of move towards that holding those animals for a bit longer and putting on a bit more weight. Um, but yeah, across the sector, it's been a tricky time and the supply chain's kind of, you know, struggling under, under the weight of all these kind of constraints, you know, labour issues, high costs of, uh, you know, operating costs with, uh, with uh, bills, literacy bills and water going up and everything. So it's, it's a tough time at the moment for supply chain. It's been a real pinch up on, um, on supply too, like because it's been so wet, Kerry. I'm talking beef now. A lot of a lot of cattle are getting carried long, and I think you know what you've got to do is secure your workforce. So you're looking at cow margins and so forth. It's about making sure that you keep your your workforce gainfully employed, because no processor at present wants to go into any downtime because the the workers might move on. Is it true that they're getting pushing a larger cattle onto feed and buying the putting them in at four fifty rather than three fifty? and feeding them for 100 days and getting their margins up? That's what I've been told, and that's only in the last week. Um, I've had a couple of conversations down at Packingham on, uh, on Monday, and uh, that was the discussion then, is buy heavier, feed feed a bit longer, but uh, creating a margin that way. One uh, positive note for feedlotters, I guess, with all this rain about and the degraded wheat, there'll be plenty of feed wheat available in the next 12 months or so. Absolutely, absolutely. It's uh, and and just this last this last cycle now with the amount of water coming through, it's going to be a lot of uh, a lot of feed wheat. I think a bump a bump of crop, but but mostly feed wheat. Yeah, yeah, and it's surprising that Matt sort of having driven from South Australia through to sort of northern Victoria last week, and then up into New South Wales, the crops have only the barley might have just started to change colour, but a lot of the crops are still Irish green. And if they can get a header into them, God, there's some yield out there. Cattle never do well, as we all know, in waterlogged country. And I'm now told that with this much colder spring and very, very wet spring, up to a point cattle are not doing well as they should in feedlots. October's always your premium time normally for weight gain. But with this cold weather, they just sort of tend to stand. And any of those that are running that OptiWay system from Bill Mitchell, and I looked at one of the apps the other day, as soon as it starts raining, the, the weight gain, the weight loss per day is way bigger than any of us ever thought. You know, it's, it's not a half a kilo, it's three kilos a day because they just stand and don't eat. Okay, time to get out of the feedlot for the moment. Chris, so you've had a look at a lot of country in recent weeks. Tell us what you, where you went and what you actually saw. Uh, look, we, we did a run up to uh, Bathurst, Oberon, um, went up and had a look at the Caddy Fuel Sales, dropped into Carcall, talked to a few agents, but all the way... Basically, uh, the best country you, you see uh, for crops dry dry is between Mildura and Renmark. They've got crops there that you'd normally see in the in the Wimmera. But as you go further north up through the bottom of Forbes, a lot of water still lying in paddocks um, out through Oberon, Bathurst, still very wet. And then across to uh, Victoria this week or late last week. And once you get in through Finley, heading towards Wodonga, very, very wet in the paddocks and, and some areas, low-lying areas, just starting to be inundated off the Murray. As you said, the um, the weight gains are struggling because it is wet. 
although I did talk to one one uh, producer that had cattle at Pack Saddle north of Broken Hill, and they have performed out of their skin. Uh, the cows are fat, big, sappy calves, 400-kilo calves at foot, looking at looking a million dollars, uh, and yet talking to Mick Corcoran at Moree, and they were organising helicopters for this week so they could get out over country west of Canamble uh, just to check on stock that are out there on adjustment because you can't drive into the paddocks. Extraordinary, isn't it? That we'd be complaining about too much or too much rain when three or four years ago we were, we were complaining about the drought. Now, MLA boss uh, Jason Strong said in his most recent State of the Industry address, the red meat industry is in the most amazing state. What 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 do you think he means, uh, Matt? Is the meat industry really in such a, an amazing state? Oh, look, I think when you look at the global picture, carry, I think that's a fair assessment. Um, you've got. You know, plenty of countries around the world that are continuing to increase their appetite for red meat of all sorts. And, you know, we're, we, you know, we're seeing, I guess, in the U.S.'s situation, they're into the third year of their liquidation phase. So, you know, they're, they're kind of going through that, that stage. We were at a couple of years back where they're stretching around now for, for, for kind of supply. Um, you know, and they're, they're a big, obviously, a big uh, producer as well, both domestically and in the export market. Um, but yeah, when you look at what's happening um, with regards to, to demand and the pro- and the projected demand, um, the Food and Agriculture Organisation uh, just a few weeks back put out a, uh, an assessment of, of growth in, in meat demand over the next kind of seven years or so, and you've got very strong demand for countries like China still to come, um, and then up and coming like India and Indonesia, you know, kind of double-digit growth in demand for, for meat of all types. Yes, we've got a few factors here. One of them is the United States of America and when it's going to rain there. But uh, everything at the moment, domestic prices now and forecast weather, exports now and the potential. Is the industry in a unique situation looking to the future or do we have some headwinds which need need to be taken notice of? Oh, I think there are some headwinds and we already touched on it um, you know, just before. What part of it is that supply chain issue. Um, you know, we're, we're still obviously in Australia. We're still rebuilding the herd. We're rebuilding the flock, and that's coming along nicely. And while this rain is a bit a bit over the top presently, it is going to set us up for a pretty good season once it starts to warm up. Um, and so that's going to give us another good season for, for kind of rebuilding that herd, rebuilding the flock. Um, as we get these bigger numbers and start turning off more animals, uh, you know, annually, um, the issue I've got is how are we going to manage to process the increased numbers? You know, we've got. Currently, I think processes on average are running somewhere to 65, 70% of capacity. Um, there's real constraints around the ability to get labour. Um, and, you know, I kind of have concerns as we move forward and, and build the flock and the herd. How are we going to manage to process these animals? And we have seen, Kerry, um, just to follow on from Matt, back in the 90s when the live sheep trade uh, fell away, we ended up with this big washing machine of numbers sort of swilling around. So there was always excess numbers out there that held, held price down. I think we're seeing a bit of that now in the cattle industry in the north. You know, the, the small numbers that have been uh, live export out of Darwin and Townsville, they've pushed this sort of core of numbers back in that when it does start to warm up, are going to, are going to create a, a bit of a supply bubble. Um, we're definitely seeing it in Western Australia at present on sheep and lamb. Uh, I think they've only had one ship go out since recommencement. And so those numbers that normally just just leave country, they're, they're being pushed back into the supply chain and they've all got to end up going through a process at, at some stage. Yes, you can't keep them forever, can you? I, speaking of Western no. Australia, a friend of mine is over there, said he's never seen so much grass uh, and uh, conditions over there are just fantastic as well as here on the East Coast. 
the eastern wheat belt is phenomenal, and the further east you go towards what's normally marginal country, the better the crops get. Yeah. Um, I've heard a couple of stories client over there last week. A little bit of frost through a couple bands, but everyone's fingers crossed. There's some huge crops there, and again, their concern is that there is a carryover of grain in in the um, silo system, a bit like the wine wine grape juice at present, and um, they're just hoping that they've got enough capacity to uh, take full receival. Time for a break from our Beef Central podcast series on the grill. We're talking to Chris Harry from Stocko and Matty Delgleish from EP3. Akatak Duo Star from Elanco provides knockdown and residual control of cattle ticks and ivermectin sensitive parasites. Applied early in the season, Akatak Duo Star reduces the buildup of the tick population and helps to prolong the life of effective chemistry. Give ticks and worms the flick with Akatak Duo Star. Always read and follow the label directions and ensure good agricultural practice for optimal parasite control. You're back on the grill with Kerry Lonigan, and here our guests today are Chris Harry from Stockco and Betty Delgleish from EP3. Yeah, Chris, you, we spoke earlier in the week and you mentioned that you think there's going to be a surge of big cattle hitting the market between now and Christmas. Uh, when is that going to happen and why is it occurring? Yeah, well, look, year on year, we, we normally see October. It's nice and warm. Cattle start to do very well. Um, the lower southeast of South Australia down into the Gippsland get their first run of sort of baby bullocks starting to appear. Because it's been so cold, a lot of those cattle are being pushed back. Some are even being taken off of um, grazing crops because it's too wet. And I just think a bit like the lamb job, we're pushing numbers together. And when we do get a run of three weeks of warm weather, I think we're going to see, and it's only going to be a bubble, I think, but you're going to see a bubble of supply probably end of November. That that all of a sudden that supply-demand um, needle will flick across to the other side and, and you'll see a bit of pressure on price for a period of time. Yeah, so that makes a lot of sense when you put it like that. Now, I've also noticed uh, some movement in sheep. We uh, haven't touched on them yet, but the, there used to be a substantial number of trucks heading from Western Australia to the East Coast. That's not happening anymore, is it? What, what's, what's going on in the sheep and lamb industries at, uh, at present? Look, there's still plenty coming across the flat. Um, quite a few uh, one-and-a-half-year-old ewes are just starting to be purchased at reasonable money, you know, 1200 last week at $170. By the time they're home, they, they work out to about 210 or $20. Um, store lambs are probably the, the the biggest impact. Because it's so wet over here, a lot are just holding on because the paddocks are so wet, the lambs are washed out, and getting shearers is a real issue. We, we haven't seen the early activity on, on buying stores to take through yet. I think it will come, but it just, it's got to stop raining at some point in time to allow that to happen in the volumes that we normally, we normally see. I'd, I'd add to that, Sarah. I had a look at the numbers actually just yesterday for, um, for, for sheep and lamb coming west to east. And we're back to, we are seeing some come across. I think this year so far it's been about 91,000 head come across uh, to September. Um, which is much more a normal season when you look at historically and nothing like the, the big numbers we saw in 2020 and 2021. I think 2020 was 1.9 million head and 21 was about 670,000 head. So, yeah, the numbers are coming but back to normal levels. Yeah, we, the, the good news is also they're still coming out of the United States of America and their demand for lamb. Is that sustainable or are we going to see that? Is that just a temporary uh, sort of fizz? I, I personally think the growth we're seeing for the last few years and that demand from the US for Aussie lamb 
is a changing dynamic of the of the consumer in the US. Um, so I, I think that's going to stay strong certainly for the rest of this year, and I think the prospect is for a market there to continue to grow. If, if you look at the per capita consumption of sheep meat in the US, it's it's it's, it's minuscule compared to the other meats they eat. And um, you know they are the, the general consumer there is starting to real, you know, realise the quality of, of Australian lamb, and they're starting to realise that they can cook it at home. So that can make the transition away from you know normally in the US they eat it in the restaurants, whereas now they're starting to realise that they can cook it at home and it's a, it's a fabulous cut. Yeah. And that I agree with Matt. That's exactly where we're we're seeing hearing from processors and just uh, in marketing that's being done in the US. You know that the meat companies from Australia are marketing extremely well. It's getting away from food service industry like cruise ships and um, conventions, and it was a little bit of a scary type of meat for the for US population, and now they're starting to work out that, yes, they can take it home and they can put it on the barbecue, and it's very good to eat. So I'm with Matt. This is It's going to continue to grow. Yeah, it looks good, doesn't it? Time for a brief message from our sponsor, Kelly's Finance. Established since 1988, Kelly's Finance Group have the finance solutions when it comes to agribusiness lending, from property loans and livestock funding to machinery and vehicle finance. They are the experts in arranging finance on behalf of their clients that not only ensures market-leading interest rates, but more importantly, financing that is suited to your agricultural operations, not your lender's bottom line or their preferred security position. With access to an array of specialist and traditional finance providers, there's no job too big or too small for the Kelly's Finance Group team. Contact Kelly's Finance Group today for an independent and confidential discussion on how we can add value to your business moving forward. You're back on the grill with Kerry Lonigan, and here our guests today are Chris Harry from Stockco and Betty Delgleish from EP3. It should be no surprise that there's another boom in goats. <laughs> I think I've heard about five or six booms in the last 20 years. Is this another short-term spasm or... Is it a, a long-term uh, approach to goats now that the, the, some of the big players are getting into goats, aren't they? Yeah, I, I think goats are a lot, you know, they're another growth opportunity. And I, from a from a global perspective, I, I pretty much include goat meat as part of that broader sheep meat complex. It's you know similar type flavors, similar type uh, uses uh, for how you how you cook the meat. Um, but yeah, another fantastic opportunity, and it's, it's a, a fact that a lot of people don't realise that Australia's by far the largest exporter of goat meat, and, and the bulk of that goes into that market, the US. So um, we've already we've already got a, a really good foothold into a market that's got all the demand, um, and so I think that's another fabulous potential for the producer in Australia. But it's uh, Kerry, the exclusion fencing for those that are setting themselves into goats is working a treat, but we have got a feral population, and there is a massive number of feral goats out there. And what we see is when it dries out. Those goats start to move, and when a when a farmer or, or a grazier captures the goats, they don't capture to the keep them; they capture in truck, and that will put pressure on pricing. So we're back into the sixes now, and I think when we see hot weather, and it might be February next year, I don't know; it could be February in two years, time the way it's going. Um, you'll see a big number of goats appear very quickly, and I think that will put a lot of pressure on price for a period of time. Live exports, um, Matt, you first, uh, they're feeling some pain. This looks quite significant to me in terms of the numbers that are not going north and the amount of um, IBM that's going into Indonesia. 
And the, just the, simply the price of Australian cattle is not conducive to live exports. Yeah, certainly we've seen that price competitiveness impacting the Vietnamese market um, this year and probably part of last year and added competition from Brazil, not just the Indian buffalo meat going into Indonesia, but the Brazilians going into Vietnam. Um, and we've seen, obviously, now the last few months um, a reduced appetite from Indonesia for our product too, and obviously part of that could be price, but I think the bigger factor, Kerry, is still their ongoing battle with putting mouth disease and lumpy skin. Um, until they get that totally under control, I think there's going to be reduced appetite. Um, the numbers for September just came out a couple of days back, and I haven't crunched them completely, but I see there was a small uptick to Indonesia, but still very much below average flows. I think that probably be 60% or so down uh, on normal levels still to Indonesia despite the increase. Um, so that's the third kind of month successively we've had really low volumes going out from Australia. Um, and, and look, this is the time of year normally where the bigger volumes tend to go. You know, you know September, October, November, we start to see um, the higher peaks for the year and, and they're just not happening this year, which is adding to that supply, I think, that Chris was talking about earlier in the north. I'm just wondering what the long-term impact is uh, going to be on the market generally because if those cattle are not going on boats, where are they going? They must be pushed south under markets down here, I, I assume. I yeah, and that, that's what I was saying, Kerry, is that they start to feed into the into the internal processing supply chain um, and when they come on, they, they come on in significant numbers. Yeah. But I think, I think one of the hidden concerns is that as a live exporter, you, you don't hang on to a ship. You've got to have it moving, otherwise it's costing you significant, you know, fifty, sixty, seventy thousand dollars a day demarrage. Yeah. A lot of the a lot of the ships are being released. And I think that's what we've seen in Western Australia. They haven't evaporated, they haven't disappeared, but they've gone to a different run. You know, they're coming out of uh, South America or they've gone up into the Mediterranean. Now, once they've gone, as we start to see increase and in maybe price and so forth create more demand, you've got to get those ships to come back. And uh, depending on what charter they're on, determines how quickly you can grab hold of them. Yes, it's a conundrum, isn't it? They uh, they they can't afford to have that swinging off the pick, and the and the buyers can't afford to buy the cattle. It's bizarre. But look, one of the most uh, talked about items that I find around the arena is uh, what happens in the United States when it rains and this drought in America finishes. What happens to our exports and what happens to American exports? Generally speaking, with that situation, you've probably got another year, I, I would think, um, in the US, at least one more year, maybe two of, of, of liquidation. Um, the, the normal pattern is um, is you get about you know, four to five years' worth of liquidation in a general cycle, and we're only into year three now, so we've got at least one more year to go. Um, but yeah, generally speaking, um, towards that latter end of the cycle, um, what we do see is a pickup in in demand for imports of beef into the US, and we saw that through 1415. Um, you know, US became the biggest um, importer of Australian beef at the time through 1415, and that was just because in the cycle too, we were in our drought and turning off a lot, you know, 9 million plus head that they're being slaughtered in those times annually, and, and the US had the appetite. And I think that's the scenario just before they turn to that rebuild. They're going to um, look to try and find product because they're a huge consumer of beef. Um, and they're running they're, they're running out now with the levels of beef stocking. So um, the next year, I think we're going to start to see um, the US start to look for, for more beef, and hopefully that will translate to some increased flows because for the last year or so, um, the, the Australian beef going to the US has been running at about 50% below normal levels. Look, the big cattle country in America is desperate for rain and desperate for water more than just rain They because they haven't got anywhere to water their cattle. But 
how soon after it rains does it impact in Australia, or do we have to wait half a year or something like that? Uh, no, nah, Kerry, I'd, I'd seen, and again, with what Matt's numbers say and other commodity analysts, Australia's in an excellent spot. We're actually hitting, hitting a supply time frame that when it rains in the US, most of the other countries are in a, in a negative supply uh, um, uh, window. Yep. And, uh, you know, some of the numbers we've seen, sort of 80 to 100 million tonne shortfall in the international supply arrangement. Um, Australia's sitting box seat to capitalise that. As long as we can move it, that's the main thing. Men, uh, thank you very much for your time. Just before we go, uh, forecast for the end of the year, and we'll get in touch uh, in the next six or eight weeks ago to round out the year. But uh, give me a quick guess on uh, feeder steer prices at the end of the year and trade land prices. Chris, you can go first. Feeder steers, I think we're going to see them come down towards $5. Uh, not the crossbreds, but, you know, your Angus and, and your British breeds. Yeah. And uh, lamb price, look, I, I think lamb price is going to hover around $7 once the numbers hit. And, uh, you know, 7 to 7.50, it'll just sit in there, I think. That's still an extraordinary price, isn't it? Um, Matty? Yeah, I, I was thinking a slightly softer for feeder steers, maybe just under $5 slightly, but not by a lot, maybe four eighty, four four ninety. Um and with the lamb situation, I think you know coming into this time of year is, is, is the uh, you know the spring flush just kicking off down in Victoria. I do have concerns about that processing capacity, so I, I wouldn't be surprised if we saw lambs down into the high sixes, you know, get you know, six eighty, six seventy five. So just slightly slightly softer than Christmas, but uh, you know similar levels. And just quickly, in historic terms, as they still remain good prices, don't they? Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, very much so. Yeah. Chris, good luck. Thank you for your time today. And, Matty, good luck with your business. Thanks, Kerry. Thanks, Kerry. See you, Matt. And thank you for joining me today. Until next time, I'm Kerry Lonigan, and this is the Weekly Grill, brought to you by Alenco Animal Health and the Kelly's Finance Group.